ਦਾ ਲਿਓਫੜੀ ਮੈਂ ਆਪਾਂ ਹੀ has passed away. The actor who was made famous by Deliverance, Shaney B put that for me together back on the 30th anniversary of Deliverance. Uh, Burt Reynolds has died this afternoon. Just man, I, I, I gotta tell you, I saw somebody online tweet that they were going to be really disappointed in their fellow Atlantans if nobody get, gets pulled over this afternoon speeding on I-20 in a Trans Am. And I gotta say, I agree. Uh, now, <laughs> Doug Turnbull's freaking out right now. Don't encourage Still, come on. Um, Burt Reynolds, uh, there's this great clip about him. You know, Deliverance really put Burt Reynolds on the map uh, as a actor. Uh, all of his greats, because Smoking the Bandit, everything came after this movie. He was on uh, not too long ago with Conan O'Brien on his show on TBS talking about that. Uh, just, just listen to this for a minute. John Borman, who was an Irish director, the best director I've ever had, said, where am I going to find these guys? That, these are the guys that, to play the, the, the hill the, people. The mountain men. The mountain men. Yeah. And I said, I know a guy. He can't read, and he can't write or anything, but he, I'm telling you, if we can get him, we got something special. So I said, let me bring him in. His name's Cowboy, and he'll just talk to you, and you, and you see if you like him. So he came in and introduced him and everything, and he, and he said, uh, did you tell him I can't read? I said, yes, I, I told him that. And the director went, just read this first line here, cowboy. And he went, and he looked over at me like, oh, I'm going to get this beat out of me. You know? <laughs> and, he, and he said, well, the first, li- I, I, the first line, cowboy, is get over against that tree and take your pants down. <laughs> and he said, get over against that sapling and take your panties down. And the director said, you got the part. I hope he got a writing credit. So we, we started with that scene. Which, scene. which scene particularly are we talking about? The, the, the scene where he says, uh, He's got a mighty pretty mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In Deliverance. It, it, yeah, yeah. And you thought that scene would end your career, potentially. I thought it was going to be close. I mean, you know, you can't... Th- those kind of pictures are... Because I hadn't done anything like that. Mm-hmm. That that particular line... I mean, I'll be driving sometimes in a car, and a guy will pull up beside me and say, you got a mighty pretty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Burt Reynolds, oh, that is sad to sad to lose him. He was just a man, a, a guy who 
He did movies, and then he was on TV forever. He's one of the first major American actors to jump from the silver screen to TV. And then later in life, uh, with Boogie Nights and the rest, jumped back into the silver screen. It was just, man, what an actor. Um, what what an amazing, amazing person we have lost. Burt Reynolds, uh, dead this afternoon. Now, we got to move on to other news from from that. I, I Look, I don't even know how you transition <laughs> Out of that uh, deliverance clips at all. Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to introduce Cory Booker by saying he's got a mighty pretty mouth. Uh, <laughs> oh, but Cory Booker today, y'all. We we have Democrat senators in the United States Senate be clowning themselves. I mean, be clowning themselves over Brett Kavanaugh today. It was embarrassing. Um, you have just Cory Booker claiming he's I am Spartacus moment when it, when it was more Farticus. Um, I mean, just a release of hot air that accomplished nothing. So Cory Booker at the <laughs> at the Senate hearing today, he, he I mean, he literally people y'all there were how can I how can I do this and keep it PG rated with with kids in the car? I don't know. I've already done Deliverance, maybe not. But he, I mean, literally, you had people. He's Listen, listen to this Cory Booker nonsense. I, I will say that I did willingly violate the chair's rule on the committee confidential process. Uh, I take full responsibility for violating that, sir. And I violate it because I, I sincerely believe that the public deserves to know this nominee's record. In this particular case, his record on issues of race and the law. And, and I could not understand, and I violated this rule knowingly, why, why these issues should be withheld from the public. Now, I appreciate the comments of my colleagues. This is about the closest I'll probably ever have in my life to an I am Spartacus moment. <laughs> Guess what? His release of the confidential. I mean, folks, you had report. You know, the, the cool thing about Twitter, Twitter is a garbage cesspool. All those demons who were cast into the pigs by Jesus and ran down the hill and drowned. They all got Twitter accounts afterwards. Twitter is filled with, with I mean, Satan's horde. And a lot of reporters who on Twitter are very comfortable revealing just how leftist they are when they try to be objective on TV or in the newspaper. They, I mean, they're, they're raging leftists. They're like, oh, Cory Booker, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. They were so uh, uh, brave, courageous. We just had the funeral for John Sidney McCain where people recounted what true courage was. And suddenly these people are on Twitter today who are all fawning over that as an insult to the president. And they're like, he's so brave. He released confidential documents that had already appeared in the Wall Street Journal, by the way. The the, the emails that Cory Booker supposedly appear, uh, revealed and released and made public that were supposedly classified and confidential, they had already appeared in the Wall Street Journal. Like when Kavanaugh was up for the appellate court years ago during the Bush administration. They had appeared then. This was not some brave, courageous move. They were already in public. And guess what? We now know that last night, the National Archivist working for the Bush administration unclassified the documents. So they were made to be released. They could be made public. They were public. And yet somehow, oh, he's so brave. Here's one more clip from Cory Booker talking about how brave he is. There's a lot of things about me you don't know anything about, Daddy. Things you wouldn't understand. Things you couldn't understand. Things you shouldn't understand. I don't understand. 
You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner, Dottie. A rebel. A rebel. That was Pee Wee Herman. A rebel, Cory Booker. He's he is Farticus. And then you've got Sheldon Whitehouse, Sheldon Whitehouse, the the senator you've never heard of, the man who will never be in the White House. So he had to have the last name White House actually in the hearing says this. Um, Lest silence imply consent. Speaking for myself, I want to make it absolutely clear that I do not accept the process of this committee confidential routine that we went through. I do not accept its legitimacy. I do not accept its validity. Because I don't accept its legitimacy or validity, I don't accept that I'm under any obligation. I've not made a big fight about this. I've just gone ahead with my questioning. But again, lest silence imply consent, I think that that rule is as ineffectual as if the chair had unilaterally repealed the law of gravity. It simply isn't so. I haven't agreed to this rule. I haven't voted on this rule. This rule does not exist in our committee or Senate rules, and I'll leave it at that. Did you Just uh, me speaking. I am not willing to concede that there is any legitimacy to this it, entire committee confidential process it, in this hearing. Was it just and a, nothing sensitive, nothing personal, nothing classified, and nothing confidential has been released? Well, he wound up being right, but his objection was that the the Bush archivist, the Bush National Archives archivist, had sent these documents to the senators to review, but had listed them as confidential. They were not to be made public because they involved the internal deliberations of the Solicitor General's office, essentially an attorney's uh, legal opinion to his client, which is attorney-client privilege. It is executive privilege when it goes to the president. It's not to be made re- released. But George W. Bush said, you know what? Look at it anyway. Just don't make it public. Well, last night they decided they could make it public because it had already been made public back in 2005. Holy moly, y'all. The, the amount of preening and posturing. I, I, I got to, before we go to break, give the last word here to John Cornyn, uh, who shot back at Cory Booker's Spartacus moment with this. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman since, since Mr. the Chairman. senator invoked my can name, I, I do can I, insist on an opportunity to respond. Now, I did not mention his name, okay. but he had mentioned my name. And he's right. Running for president is no excuse for violating the rules of the Senate or of the confidentiality of the documents that we that we are privy to. Yes, that's what Cory Booker is doing. Same with Kamala Harris and her little stunt. Uh, we'll get into that when we come back. And who wrote the op-ed in the New York Times? There's a huge hunt underway at the White House. <laughs> oh, wait till you hear what I'm hearing. It is 26 after the hour. Yes, I had to talk about the memo, and I'm hearing stuff from the White House. But before we get to the White House, before I even get to your phone calls, when we come back in a little bit, we have to talk about the polling. We have polling. Kemp versus Abrams. Abrams versus Kemp. Who's on top? Who's on first? Who's on second? I have the sneak peek of the polling results they're embargoed but i may break the embargo i may tell you before anybody else knows i may give you some historic perspective as well we also got to talk about the memo a little bit more and (laughs) the denials 
from people in the White House. I mean, they are full-throated, vigorous denials. And I, I actually really want to talk about the story in College Park tonight. Uh, College Park is rethinking zoning laws down there by the airport uh, for hipsters and MARTA. Huh? Hipsters and MARTA? Well, so here's the thing. Uh, study after study after study shows that if you allow more concentrated development in areas around public transportation, then you get more people moving to that area and more people then using public transportation. So you build these little cities within cities and you can actually make the subway systems, the heavy trains, pay for themselves. Listen, light rail, the, the whole uh, the, the, the trash cart that runs downtown, the streetcar thing, the streetcar of no desire, it's never going to make money. It is a boondoggle that should be torn up, uh, but pride and sacred cows will prevent that. But heavy rail, you can actually get this to help cover its costs by doing this, and College Park wants to do it. It's a novel experiment. When we come back, though, the polling, the polling, the polling. It's 40 after the hour. Um, I have been asked to respect the embargo on the polling, so I'm not going to talk about the Kemp, uh, Abrams, Abrams Kemp, who's on top polling until the 6 o'clock hour. You'll have to bear with me. Um, I will take phone calls, though. We have people. Yesterday, we had so much news, I had a hard time getting to phone calls. Today, I'll take some phone calls. 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Mike from Atlanta, welcome. Hey, Eric, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So with Mayor Bottoms now saying that the Atlanta police will no longer detain ICE um, arrestees and whatnot, at that point, do you think our new governor should step in, our governor now? I mean, is this something our yeah, listen, should get involved I, with? I think that um, essentially she wants to turn Atlanta into a sanctuary city. Um, right. And... She can say that she's not going to do that, but the reality is the Fulton County Sheriff's Department is still complying, and there's only so much leeway that the Atlanta Police Department can have. It's really a lot more talk than action. Um, So here's the thing. If someone's getting pulled over and arrested by police in Atlanta, um, she can say they're not going to be detained for ICE violations. She can say that, but the reality is they're still going to be a, a, a detained and they're going to be put into a processing system that ICE pays attention to. So ICE can still come get those people. Um, it, this is one of the things, this is virtue signaling by, by left-wing politicians who say stuff like this, because the reality is there aren't a ton of things that they can do. Now, if they pull someone over and let's say they have a broken taillight, and the police look and say, okay, broken taillight, first offense, you don't have a record. Oh, but I see you're not necessarily a, a, a legal alien, but you have a legal driver's license from a state that gives legal driver's license. Well, I'm not going to detain you. It's not worth my time. They can do that. Uh, and that happens all the time anyway. But if they get put in jail for, say, they get busted for selling weed, they get put in jail because they have more than an ounce on them. They're going to get put into the system that everybody logs into, and ICE is going to see, oh, we have an illegal alien in the Atlanta jail. Let's go get them. And she can't stop them from getting them because Atlanta loves to take federal money, and you can't, as Atlanta, say, no, federal agent, you're not allowed in our jail because the federal money paid for your jail. So this is all bluster. It's what a lot of politicians do these days. It makes her sound good to the left. It makes her sound like a virtuous liberal. 
Um, but it's all for show. And that's the reality. Let's go back to the phones. Brian in Atlanta, welcome. Hey, Eric, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So, yeah, I just wanted to touch base on Alex Jones real quick again. Uh, I know you said no one cared. I, I, I do, and I just want to hear your perspective on why you thought no one cared and why we shouldn't care. Well, because you can still go to alexjones.com. He's still on the radio in Atlanta. Um, on, on a, a well, the station doesn't have a very large signal, but I mean, it's not like he's going away. Um, right. He's he's still going to have a website. He's still going to have a presence. He's still going to have an app. His app is still in the Apple Store. Uh, you can still get Alex Jones if you want Alex Jones. Although I got to tell you, I was actually about to get on Twitter and say this, but I'll I'll say it here with you. Um, Alex Jones has been around for a long time. If you listen to his clip with Marco Rubio, he claims that he had a bigger audience than Rush Limbaugh. Uh, not true. Right. Um, and he's on less than 90 talk stations in the United States of America. Let let me explain syndicated talk to you. Syndicated talk really doesn't matter until you get above about 120 stations. Uh, Alex Jones has been around as long as he has, and he's on 90 stations maybe. And most of those only run him on a Sunday night. Many of them run him in delay overnight, and they're all tiny stations. This is not a man who is very successful at what he does. And you can say he has a massive influx online. Well, okay, he's got traffic to his website, but he's been using these other platforms to build his buzz. And you can say it's bad because Jack Dorsey yesterday said Twitter is a public square. Well, if it's a public square, then it should comply with with the First Amendment. That's true. And, in fact, there's a Twitter executive gloating that they banned Alex Jones today. It's kind of ironic they did it the day after testifying before Congress. They waited until after the congressional inquiry to do it. But like with Facebook and Apple, Apple is one I, I think they should handle it better. But with Facebook, he violated clear terms on Facebook by naming individuals – and claiming that they were actors when they had actually had their children murdered. And after doing this several times and being warned several times, Facebook threw him off. I mean, are you going to leave people on the platform when they violate the terms of service repeatedly? Twitter is the one that I think essentially they got bullied into being embarrassed. But let's not overstate Alex Jones. The media, because Alex Jones gets a lot of social media buzz, the media presumes that this man has a huge following. Um, Radio stations love hosts who generate ratings and audience. If Alex Jones could generate ratings and audience, he would not have 90 tiny stations that mostly listen to him in delay one day a week. He would be on every major news talk station in the country uh, with a massive audience, and he doesn't. And that suggests to me that he is, well, overhyped by a lot of people. There will be some people who miss Alex Jones. They can go to alexjones.com. The rest of us, well, I don't need to hear about water turning frogs gay. It is 55 after the hour. When we come back, I will have the polling. I will break down the numbers in the Kemp-Abrams, Abrams-Kemp race. Who's on top? Who's ahead? Who's got the big momentum? Who's got the Who's got the support? Who's got the high-dollar voters? Who's got the small-dollar voters? On and on and on. Um, before I do any of that, though, just one more brief word on this anonymous whodunit from the White House that has people 
whipped into a frenzy. And and uh, we we may circle back to this in a little bit, but I got to tell you, reading it again and thinking about it, it really does sound like a junior staffer who feels like they have a lot of self-importance. Jamie Dupree and I have traded a couple of emails on this, and, and we both kind of feel that that's our gut, that this sounds like someone who has an overinflated sense of self-importance. But with the New York Times, this is what I keep going back to, with the New York Times, you know, they could be idiots, but I know Jim Dowd. He's a sharp guy. And he understands the the stakes of what they're playing, and he understands that this person is probably going to be revealed. Would they allow a low-level staffer who you've never heard of to run an op-ed like this, knowing that when the person's identity is revealed, you're going to laugh and say, who the heck is this guy? I don't know that they would because, I mean, the president would just wage war and, and say this person's insignificant, no one's ever heard of him, and he'd have a really good point. But there is something else that we need to think about. All those people who are screaming constitutional crisis right now, they're the same people who are trying to convince members of the Electoral College to reject Donald Trump from their home states to precipitate a constitutional crisis. I mean, all the people screaming constitutional crisis, they want a constitutional crisis. This is not a constitutional crisis. Every president going back to George Washington has had people in their White House shielding them from information. Well, Washington went into the White House, but you get my point. Uh, Shielding them from information and trying to steer them in certain directions. This isn't a constitutional crisis. Coming up, though, Brian Kemp versus Stacey Abrams. We've got the big poll. It's nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson, and this is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Get me on social media at EW Erickson, all the the intertubes, whether it's Apple Music, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, EW Erickson. Also, uh, one more time for those of you, who uh, Officer Cooper in Covington, if you want to find out how you can help him and his family, he's the officer over there who was shot in the head, text the word support to 345-345. I will send you back while I'm here at my computer. Uh, a link to the picture that the Covington Police Department put up that shows the bank account numbers and where you can wire money, where you can mail money and all that sort of stuff to help the family. Text support to 345-345. Big news! The poll has come out. Nathan, not Nathan Deal, brain fart, Brian Kemp, Stacey Abrams. Sample size, 1,020 voters, 3.1% is the margin of error. A couple of caveats before we get into the details. Um, it is conducted by the University of Georgia School of Public and International Affairs. I, I don't mean disrespect, but I am skeptical of university polls, and I always have been skeptical of university polls uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, they don't, in my mind, unless there's like Quinnipiac or Emerson or a few others, developing a um, methodology that is sustained over time. Uh, I would be, I'm a little bit skeptical in that regard of university polls, regardless of the university. And you should know that that is my opinion going into it. I have a bias against university polls. But... The race is tied, a 
according to this poll. 45% for Stacey Abrams, 45% for Brian Kemp, only 7% of the vote is undecided, and there are only two months. <gasps> well, we need to put this in perspective. Before people, I'm already seeing, by the way, this this came out at 6 o'clock. I'm already seeing national reporters who have no sense of history. None. They don't live in the state. They don't understand how this works. Oh, my God. George is going to get Stacey Abrams. I mean, they are. You got some national reporters who are jumping into cold showers right now. I Let me give you a sense of history here. September 24th, 2014. Georgia's top statewide races all tied up, according to a poll commissioned by 11 Alive. Michelle Nunn is at 46%. David Perdue is at 45%. Jason Carter is at 45% to Nathan Deal's 44%. That's September 24th, 2014. Let's jump to October 15th, 2014. Survey USA has Michelle Nunn leading David Perdue and the governor's race tied. According to Survey USA, Michelle Nunn had 48% of the vote, David Perdue 45% of the vote, and in the gubernatorial race, Nathan Deal and Jason Carter tied 46%. Now let's jump over. To October 23rd, 2014, another a follow-up. Another Survey USA poll, Michelle Nunn still ahead of David Perdue. The governor's race still tied. Now let's jump. CNN did a poll. CNN did a poll. This poll came out October 24th. Michelle Nunn, 47% to David Perdue's 44%, according to a new CNN ORC poll. October 24, 2014, CNN ORC poll. Jason Carter in the lead. 48 to 46, it had been tied all through September. The momentum with Jason Carter, Jason Carter going to win this race. And then, wait, 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 wait. There's another poll. Also, October 23rd, it is another poll. Michelle Nunn is 47, David Perdue is 45, and Jason Carter in the lead against Nathan Deal, according to Opinion Savvy. And then the only poll that matters, Election Day. David Perdue, 52. Michelle Nunn, 45. Nathan Deal, 52. Jason Carter, 44. Oh, my, how history repeats itself. First, the polls are tied in September. And then the polls show the Democrats leading in October. And the Atlanta media breathes very heavy for three weeks and gets a little flushed. And then the Republicans win. We have seen this happen over and over and over in Georgia. We have seen it happen in 2014. We have seen it happen in 2016. We have seen it happen in 2012. We have seen it happen in 2010. 
Let's not forget the Saxby Chambliss Max Cleland race. The Libertarian threw off the polling. They had to go into a runoff, or the Jim Martin race there, where they went into the into the runoff uh, th- there. And on and on and on it goes. Part of the problem here is a lot of these polls tend to sample more urban voters, not rural voters. And in sampling urban voters around the Labor Day period, you know who you're not capturing? Families. And you know, statistically, married white people with kids, you know who they tend to vote? Republican. And they're out of town. They're at the beach. And you can say you're statistically sampling to compensate for it, but are you capturing married white voters with kids who are at the beach for Labor Day for your poll? Because a a married white couple that doesn't have kids may not be as Republican. A, a single person may not be there. I mean, the polling, we see this every time. And around Labor Day weekend, All the polls that come out give a bounce to the Democrats. What have you seen on the generic ballot over the last week? A remarkable bounce back to the Democrats. Democrats back in the lead. More Republican races turning to the Democrats. More than 70 seats at play in Congress. It's no coincidence that all these polls had this dramatic shift. Dramatic drop in the president's popularity also. Huge popularity drop. The first time in forever the president's popularity is a major multi-point decline. And it all happened around Labor Day. Makes you wonder what happens around Labor Day. Now, for some people, there's a, you, you may not have heard of this concept, but there is this thing that some people do. It's called Vacation. And they leave the area. Some of them, they take off the week before Labor Day. Some of them, they take off the four-day week that comes after Labor Day. And pollsters can't find them because it's against the law to call cell phones unless people have previously agreed. So we've seen this pattern happen every single time, folks. That's, That's all I'm trying to convey to you is that in 2014, we saw the same. I was on radio at the station telling you the exact same thing in 2014, that this is what happens. This is every single time. We we have Labor Day polling. It comes out. It favors the Democrats. The media says, oh, my God, Georgia's in play. And then Election Day shows up in Georgia. Turns out it's not in play. Now, here's the most remarkable data point from all of this. Jason Carter, 44%. Michelle Nunn, 45%. If this polling is true, Stacey Abrams is at her ceiling and Brian Kemp is at his floor. That means Stacey Abrams has nowhere to go up and Brian Kemp has nowhere to go down. So this race may be tied, but the advantage is still with Kemp. If you look at the, what the actual turnouts are for statewide races in Georgia, Republicans consistently, the president of the United States himself in 2016, 52% seems to be right where Republicans get it in Georgia. So Brian Kemp has a lot of wiggle room. Stacey Abrams has none. So for all the people freaking out saying, oh my God, this race is tied. Yeah, so is Michelle Nunn. So is Jason Carter. Do you know what we call them now? Losers.
It's 26 after the hour. Let's go to the phones. Tommy and coming. You're next. Welcome. How you doing, Eric? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I just wanted to, to know, do you feel the same way about the polls, the congressional polls? Because, I mean, we just saw Trump uh, Trump and those in that congressional election do the same thing. Uh, all, uh, all, all, we, uh, all we heard was how Trump was going to lose and we're going to lose Congress, and obviously we won. Uh, so the question is, is are we seeing the same thing with the, well, the, the polls? It, it depends on the poll. There are some, like NBC News, uh, Wall Street Journal is a very good poll. It's just come out in Tennessee. It looks like the Republicans have the advantage there. Fifty percent of voters in Tennessee say they want Republicans to control Congress. That, that's kind of what you would expect. Um, it really depends on the poll. And, and I don't mean any disrespect to UGA. It's just I, they don't have a long-term track record for me to look at and say this is a legitimate collegiate poll. Most college polls tend to start behind uh, longtime pollsters. And so you, you got to see where they are. I mean, this will be if they're getting into polling, good for them. And let's see them stick with it. And also media organizations sticking with the same pollster for a long time instead of hopping around every election cycle, um, because that plays into how you shape the polls as well. Now, nationally, I can tell you, if we go back to 2016, uh, you know, the polling wound up overall being right. Hillary Clinton did win the popular vote, which is what the polls show, and and fairly well if you took the polling average, she nailed it. Um, But uh, what about the individual polls here? You've got to look at the pollster. A lot of local media outlets, and thank God, uh, Cox Media Group is not one of them. We, we actually use real pollsters to do real polls. A lot of media outlets, though, use these fly-by-night pollsters who do robocalls, and they're garbage, and yet they get huge headlines. you got to watch out for those robopolls. It's 38 after the hour. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Brian Kemp is coming under attack from Democrats for supposedly propping up a massage parlor operator. I shouldn't say massage parlor, but just a massage chain uh, the, the, there was a bad actor, apparently, who was also a Kemp donor. And of course, they're, they're making all these claims about Kemp. Um, and I got to tell you guys, and let me speak personally here for a moment. Uh, is If you're a regular listener, you know, I was on city council in Macon from 2007 to 2011. Served one term. I actually left a few months early. I had no plans on running a second term anyway, but I got this job. And you can't have a job on a radio station like this and be an elected official because the FCC says that that gives you an unfair advantage. Uh, So I had had to leave. I was on CNN, uh, and I could do CNN, but I couldn't do a a nightly radio program and also be an elected official uh, in Georgia. So I resigned, but WSP was very, very gracious— and allowed me to carry on to finish the only thing I wanted to do, and it took me almost my entire term. And that was to pass regulations in Macon that largely shut down the Asian-themed massage parlor industry. You see, I had uh, the reason I wanted to run for office was because I had to drive downtown one, one night to do a TV hit and realized that there were a bunch of massage parlors, all Asian-themed, that were open. Uh, there were 10 of them at least in the few minutes it took me to get from my house to downtown, and they all were busy. 
They all had customers. And I was like, well, what the heck are massage parlors doing? This is 10 o'clock at night, 1030. I got to be on TV at 11. And they're all open doing business. And I started researching and I found a lady here in Atlanta who had researched, had her life threatened, among other things. And and she kind of filled me in on these places are often, not always, but very often fronts for uh, human trafficking and prostitution and the Asian mob. And you may think there's nothing wrong with prostitution, but the fact is a lot of these places are either using human trafficking victims or they're they're using willing participants, but then they're funding uh, organized crime uh, often in Asia. And I resolved that I was going to do something about it, and so I ran for office. And Karen Handel was the Secretary of State at the time in Georgia, and she was a tremendous asset really tremendous asset in helping me think about regulations that could be done to to shut this down. And what I hit on was, well, one, there was a report released by the Clinton administration. And the report for the Clinton administration said one of the things that these massage parlors do is they rent from elected officials who are landlords. And that you will often find that the biggest impediments to taking on this issue are local politicians who are property owners, who rent properties. Sure enough, two of the biggest opponents, uh, biggest opponents, were on city council with me, very nice people, but they rented to a couple of these businesses. They were going to lose their renters. And Karen Handel suggested to me that shaming these people would be worth doing. And you know, it worked. They they stopped renting to these people, but they continued to throw up objections. It was very clear that the moment the heat died down, they were just going to get back into uh, renting these facilities to these businesses. And so I worked with the mayor and we organized several uh, raids and uh, stories I cannot tell. I, I, you know, I really just need to go up to the battery one night and invite people to come after the show and we'll have a few beers and tell some, some stories because I got some crazy ones, including involving what in some of these raids, but nonetheless, can't say this stuff on air. Um, the, we were able to shut down some of them. There was evidence of human trafficking, but nothing could be confirmed. But a lot of times these women are victims and they're told that their families will be killed or they will be killed or the Americans will kill you or whatnot. And, and they tell them not to speak English. Most of them don't speak English. They're in required not to speak English. So all the signs were there, but it was very hard to prove in some cases. But a couple of these places went out of business, and they happened to target the businesses that some of the politicians were renting to, which gave them black marks and, and black eyes, and they had to get out of it. Well, Karen Handel left. She ran for governor unsuccessfully at the time. Brian Kemp ran for secretary of state. And I had not been able to get my legislation passed from city council in three years. I was stymied by certain people much more senior than me on city council who threw up every objection imaginable and kept blocking the legislation. And then Brian Kemp hit on a great idea as secretary of state. I connected to to staff in his office and he was able to get me the rest of the way through uh, the, building on the groundwork that Karen Handel and I had worked on diligently together. So Brian Kemp's office and some of the holdovers who had stayed there uh, after Karen Handel left, I uh, got together with them, had a meeting down in Macon at the Secretary of State's office down there. And they said, you know, go to the legitimate massage businesses and find out what they have in common. Well, what you find out is that they all kept records of who their clientele was. They all had books where clients signed in. 
Um, they all made sure certain wattage lights were in all the rooms and things like that. And, and you know what? Guess what? Turns out that some of these Asian-themed massage parlors didn't have light bulbs in certain rooms. They never, ever had a list of clients. All of these sorts of things. So with Brian Kemp's office's help, we began to draft business regulations. See, one of the big objections from people was, well, you're going to tie up police. The police are going to have to do this. The police are going to... We got real crime here. This isn't real crime. Well, you know what? Thanks to the Secretary of State's office, we came up with the great idea of not using the police. We used the business license inspectors. So the business inspectors could go in and say, ah, you're missing light bulbs in these rooms. Got to close you down until you get the light bulbs up. Oh, you're you're allowing people to sleep on air mattresses on the premises. There's your big tip off, by the way. People who sleep on air mattresses on the premises, big sign human trafficking happening. So prohibit people from being able to sleep on the premises of these places. Require logbooks so that you have logs of all the clients. And guess what? Almost all of these businesses voluntarily went out of business. Never had to have the police involved. Never had to do raids. Never had to tie up resources. All we did was send in business inspectors and say, you got to have light bulbs in the rooms where you're servicing clients. You can't give a massage in the dark. You, you, You can't let people sleep here. This isn't sanitary. You got to be able to keep lists of all your clients in case you know you 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 you, you have an unhappy ending and they're going to want to sue you. Well, you know you got to document that they they came here, and it was amazing. They closed up shop overnight. Now there there some have come back into the community since I left city council, but we had a huge problem, a huge huge problem, and it went away. And Karen Handel and then Brian Kemp deserve a lot of the credit for recognizing that human trafficking was a real problem and recognizing that there was a real problem with local politicians who refused to see it as a problem or were benefiting from the problem and coming up with novel ways to shut it down. So when you hear these people attacking Brian Kemp for uh, the bad conduct of a massage owner, I want you to remember that Brian Kemp put a real dent in human trafficking in Georgia. He put a real dent in it by actually going after the really bad massage parlors that masquerade as fronts for human trafficking all over the state. And it was Karen Handel and it was Brian Kemp who really led the way to local municipalities in the state going after these places with a business licensing approach that did not consume police resources but actually shut down criminal operations that were funding Asian mafia and kidnapping women and bringing them into this country. They deserve a real round of applause for that, frankly. And you know what? Here's the other big thing they did. They stayed with it. They didn't drop the ball. They did not do one of those things where they basically helicopter in, try to take credit. They stood on the sidelines and they let local governments run the problem, offering assistance as needed. And that is really commendable when you're dealing with politicians. It's 55 after the hour. Let's see. Back to the phones we go. Okay, I can't see your name, so you got to tell me your name. You there? Hello? Well, I could hear them, but 
they apparently couldn't hear me. Sorry. Okay. That gives me time now to play this audio from Kamala Harris. Have you heard about this exchange with Brett Kavanaugh? This is so dumb, and the left thought it was just so great. Listen to this. Judge, have you ever discussed special counsel Mueller or his investigation with anyone? Well, it's uh, in the news every day. Have you discussed it with anyone? Uh, With other judges, I know. have you discussed Mueller or his investigation with anyone at Kasowitz, Benson, and Torres, the law firm founded by Mark Kasowitz, President Trump's personal lawyer? Uh, Be sure about your answer, sir. Um, well, I'm not remembering, but if you have something you want to... Are you certain you've not had a conversation with I, anyone at that law firm? Kasowitz, Benson... Kasowitz, Benson, and yeah. Torres, which is the law firm founded by Mark Kasowitz, yeah. who is President Trump's personal lawyer. Are you, have you had any conversation about Robert Mueller or his investigation with anyone at that firm? This went on for seven minutes, and guess what? He didn't. And the Kasowitz law firm has come out and said, we've never talked to the guy The Democrats are peddling an Alex Jones-style conspiracy that the only reason he's the nominee is because of the Mueller investigation. These people have lost their minds.